We're live. We're back. Ha! <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> Where's it all going now? Right, okay, yeah. No, is this the one? No, 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 don't. <laughs> oh. It's the time I did it, I did it. Yay! <laughs> Hello. And welcome to Fishing Friday. Let's rewind this. <laughs> Fuck me. Oh. This is outrageous, this one, and I, it just went off. Damn it! I don't know whether it's been, I don't know whether it's been a glitch in the broadband, but it just went, you know, no signal, and I'm going like, it'll come back on, it'll come back on, it'll come back on. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> David Poulsen, someone was getting a bit cocky with the tech. I wasn't getting cocky with the tech. I never get cocky with tech. No, 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 no. Well, sometimes, but right, I set it all up. I did the whole thing, and then it was the portrait stuff that we went through on the the, the, the first third of the episode. What's it now? It's 20, 25 past, three breakdowns already. This is going to be a record. Kenny T, thank you very much, mate. Alex English, hello again. It's, yeah, tech is not my friend. It's like, I'm serious. It's just, it's just, I'm cursed. I'm really, really cursed with this shit, right? And it was, um, but yeah, so I did the, the broadband just went down and I just lost everything in the house. And I, I tried to, to go up on, on the thing, but it was just down. So, John O'Malley, Gremlins. Um, gremlins O'Malley. <laughs> Roddy McLeod, the show always goes on, right? Uh, so where was I? Well, where am I going to get... <laughs> this is like one of them gigs, you know, when it, when it, it all goes down and like suddenly you've got a keyboard player going... And you just go, oh, shit. And uh, I remember one time in, in Philadelphia with Mickey Simmons. And uh, it was um, it was on that tour with the, the Sunsets album. And uh, the crew hated them, right? Because everybody else had kind of got rigs that were kind of nicely sorted out. Mickey's rig looked like it was a it was a spaghetti factory behind it. It was just everything was plugged in and wired in, and it was loads of cables, and it was a nightmare. It took it was it was too longer than the drums to set up. Right? And uh, it went down in Philadelphia, <laughs> right in the middle of the set, and it was like you know, and, and the crew were just going, <laughs> the local crew were going, <laughs> and I'm just going, oh bollocks. And I had to, I did something, I, th I think I did about 30 minutes of stand-up, 
Right. <laughs> I did about 30 minutes of stand-up covering for Mickey in Philadelphia. Uh, it was a... Uh, but yeah, so it's, but that's part of the front man's gig, isn't it? It's like, you know, it's all like any, any juvenile front man out there looking for tips. It's like, be prepared for shit to happen, right? And that's one of the reasons why I've always been kind of really reluctant, you know, to get involved with backing tracks and stuff. I mean, there are a lot of bands, and I've seen a lot of bands for backing tracks. <laughs> I mean, basically, they take the studio tapes out and they, they take the whole thing out, and, and most of the stuff that's coming out of that PA is actually kind of what was on the album. We do use samples and we do use bits for the album. I have it, but I don't basically play along to, you know, a seven-minute sequence or whatever, you know. And Steve Vances knows this and he knows exactly what I'm like because, A, I'm a singer. So, like, I'm very unsure of where I'm coming in anyway. <laughs> and, you know, and the lyrics are so complicated. If you if you screw up or, or whatever, you know, you got to be, you know, especially if you're lining up the guys or whatever in the pieces or or uh, if, a, if a certain section is, is defined by a lyric, then, you know, I, I don't like sitting along a big long line of, of kind of stuff that I've got to drop my bit into. And I like to have it cut into little chunks, like a little child with mints, you know. I like to have the songs kind of broken down into parts so that if we want to take a part a little bit longer, we can do that. And, it's, and Gavin controls that from the rolling kit. But, I mean, I, backing tapes as, as as full backing tapes and, you know, where you're relying on most of the, the music coming from the backing tapes. I mean, everybody plays on the stage in my band. Everybody plays you know, everything on the stage. But it's just those little, it's the, you know, a bit of 12-inch acoustic guitar or whatever, or, you know, maybe there's a, an extra rhythm track or something that's going on. But it's, um... Oh. Uh, <coughs> Evans, all frontman need a witty repertoire to add a little bit any moment. You do. You know, and I've, I've been caught. I've been, I've been really caught out a couple of times, you know, when something major has gone down. Uh, um, I think my, my, um, <laughs> it wasn't really an ad lib. It was it was more a take charge of the situation, and uh, I remember we played. It was with the SES band, and we played band school. Uh, it was band school in Bulgaria, and it was an amazing place. It was a way up the. It was a way up in the mountains. It was a, a skiing place, and basically. During the summer, they come up with this great idea to put a, a, a kind of mini festival on in the kind of in this park area, and the park was kind of about halfway down the hill, right? And the hotel, hotel was at the top of the hill, right? And um, and I remember going in there, and uh, we arrived late-ish. In fact, it was Yata and I arrived late-ish the night before and got whammied, right? And the next, we were supposed to be there for kind of two days, I think it was. And the second day, it was all the setup and things. And I remember they had bikes in the hotel, right? <laughs> so I used to jump on a bike and just go downhill. It was brilliant. It was like having a car. It was like a carry, you know, like, you know, a bogey. Right? And I used to go down the bike all the way down to the, the, the stage area. And then I'd get a lift back with one of, the, one of the crew guys that was going back up. So, like, I'd go down and see what was happening on the, on the, on, down in the... the, the staging area right and then hang about for a bit maybe have a beer and go back up and we were it was a whole day set up i think it was and then 
can't remember exactly where it was because I was very, very drunk at the time. I'd been on a bike and going down through this Bulgarian mountain village, it's like you'd be going down, you turn a corner, there'd be cobbles and goats jumping out of the way and chickens, just like one of them movies you get, you know, like carts just missing you and donkeys going, wow. <laughs> it was really cool, but it was great. And it took you about maybe 10 minutes to get down the hill, right? 10, 10 minutes to get all to go down all through these windy streets and stuff. It was fantastic. Down at the festival site that was continually being built. And I noticed with my professional eye that the staging wasn't exactly what I expected and perhaps sufficient enough for a festival thing. And especially, it was like the security fence, right, in front of the stage was basically a bit of tape, right? <laughs> but the most creepy thing about it, right, was that they had all these mixing desks, right? And they were all sitting underneath these gazebos that you can you can buy out of B and Q. You know, they're for like you know the sort of thing you buy in a summer, right? And you use it once and never use it again, right? It's, they were flimsy, right? And they were all stacked over these big, expensive mixing desks and amplifiers and and you know all the out front gear was sitting under these kind of B and Q gazebos, and um, it was like. We came, we came to, to do the gig, that was it. We came, we came to do the gig that night and the, the forecast was going to be rain, right? And it started and it started and it pelted down and pelted down and pelted down. And we were doing this gig with Bonnie Tyler. So Bonnie Tyler was kind of, uh, she was on um, before us and then this sass band went on where the Chris Thompsons and Paul Youngs and blah, 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 right? But Bonnie Tyler was kind of, she was really, I was supposed the headline act, and we were kind of like the party band that played after, you know, the the SES jukebox bit. And um and it was raining so hard, it was unbelievable. And there was about maybe two thousand, two and a half thousand people on the other side of the tape. <laughs> the security tape. And uh and Bonnie was up on the stage and she, and the rain was falling on the stage, it was getting dangerous, right? And the next thing everything just went <laughs> and the rain had come in through in between all the cracks in between the B&Q and gazebos and gone into the mixing desks, right, and just popped the entire out front. <laughs> and then the only lights that were left were like the little kind of like guard lights, security lights, going about and like, I don't know what. And Bonnie immediately came off, off the, the, the stage. And at the backstage area was basically, it was a circle of caravans, like a kind of Wild West scenario. <laughs> and Bonnie and all the guys, and everybody's got a bit, a bit steaming as well because there's a lot of cheap alcohol around. And um, and Bonnie's tour manager's going like, we're, we're going, we're going, that's it, we're, we're going to get the hell out of here, there's going to be a riot. And everybody's getting really panicky, right? And there's two and a half thousand people out there that didn't know what was happening, right? And nobody was willing to go up. Right, and tell them that the gig's off because obviously that because of the um because of the mixing desk blown up, right? There was no way they could repair them that night, right? And they were gonna have to bring new mixing desks in from Sophia. So I just basically went up to the promoter and said, Look, I said, if can you get a new mixing desk, why don't we just do the gig tomorrow? Right? I said, tell them I'll come back tomorrow and he's going, Mmm. Gotta talk to the committee. So, so you'll do this and you'll, you you won't charge any more. No, no, no. no. And I spoke to Spike and stuff like that. Bonnie Tyler was having nothing. Right? No, no. They were, off, they were off somewhere else, right? But we were down there for, we were staying there for another day in the mountains, right? With the bikes and the hill. 
I'm the baby. <laughs> and uh, so I talked to Spike and everybody else was uh, was really up for it. So I said, yeah, let's do the gig tomorrow. And uh, they go, well, who, who's going to announce it? I said, I'll do it. <laughs> Just give me an interpreter. Right? And I said, if you can give me, you know, a couple of speakers at the PA running off a small amp. I said, you know, I'll do it. And up I went onto the rain-soaked stage. <laughs> with glass in my hand. <laughs> And it was like, hello, guys, how you doing? Really sorry, but we've had a major problem, da-da-da. And they were a bit... First and then, After about five, ten minutes of me and the translator, everybody's happy. Free gig tomorrow. Everybody welcome. <laughs> and that was it. And then we went back to the pub and got absolutely smashed. It was... But, yeah, that was my... Um, that was my front man taking charge of a situation like in band school. <laughs> oh... oh. All right, go, go down. Christian Drissen, wetter than an autumn's pocket. Right. <laughs> Laurie Fairweather, thought I'd push myself at the end of the day. Right. I had to do a bass solo once, Kerry Tate, because the pee went down and I was on my own app, so I was the only one who could do anything. <laughs> this one's written by Jazz Odyssey. Jazz Odyssey, written by the bass player. Robert Elliott, it's not as wet as Run Rig at Loch Ness in 2007. I wasn't there, mate. <laughs> Uh, Bonnie, a good Swansea girl. Ah, James, yeah, she's, she's good. She's nice lass, great song, great singer, and great thrapple, as they say up here. Right. Carol Parker helped build a stage for the Beach Boys once in a tornado, small dust devil, came through the sound check and picked up chairs everywhere. We hunkered down in front of the house and waited till it calmed down. <laughs> I remember, I remember in Marillion, in about, I must, it could have been the real, real tour or something, we were playing... It was in Northern Italy. I think it was Turin. <laughs> and we were playing in a car park. We always played... We played a lot of car parks in Italy. Right? You know, they just set up a stage and they put security... Security kind of... Uh, proper... Not tape, right? But like proper fencing around it. And they seal off the area. And you, there were small festivals. And they were great. You know, some days you'd be like, you know, sitting... You'd be on the stage with sun coming full in your face and going, ah... And other days, like in Turin, it rained and rained and rained. Turin is a big rain thing for me. It's my big rain town, right? Rain town, rain town. And, um, yeah, they, they set the stage up <laughs> in a small depression. <laughs> and it was a car park. It was like a big, it was like a bowl, right? And we came up and the entire front of the stage was basically in about six inches of water. <laughs> And they're going, oh, gig, go ahead. Well, no, wait, no problem. They stand in the water. <laughs> I said, you can maybe ask the punters to stand in the water, but we're not going to be standing with, with electric instruments in a puddle of water. <laughs> the show was cancelled. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sue Wright, SAS band, yo. Andrew Stewart, Soap Aid in St. Ellen's. We did that one a couple of weeks back. Oh, by the way, um, all the Fishing Fridays, every single one of them is going to be on YouTube and also on Facebook and, and stuff like that. So everything's going to be up. Uh, Greg Frath, good evening. Uh, Lee Brown, just wondering if you like the Edinburgh Fringe. I know some of the locals in Edinburgh aren't, aren't that first. <sighs> I like the fringe, and it can be really addictive. 
I think you've got to be mentally and physically prepared, right, to do the Edinburgh Fringe, you know, which is the pre-festival stuff. I mean, it's a bit like doing the West Island Way without walking for at least 10, 15 miles a week. I just, I found it really exhausting. And there's like too much. It's kind of like a Chinese buffet sometimes, you know. And, you know, it's the planning out the days and, you know, at 10 o'clock we've got to be at this theatre, then, you know, we're going here, then we're going for lunch and then we're going to try and, then we're going there, then we've got tickets for this and then we've got two hours in the pub to wait till the next show. And you, it, it becomes, I get OD'd on it. And I've enjoyed, I mean, Simone and I have been in a couple of times and you know, we've gone in to specifically see shows that have been highly recommended or that we just really fancy seeing. Simona loves the King's Theatre. She went, uh, one of the times when I was away, she went into the King's Theatre with a couple of friends and she absolutely loved it. And she's on at me to go back to the King's, which I really want to do because I've not been there. Uh, or I remember seeing Hamlet there when I was at Dalkey's High School. They took us all in because we had to see Hamlet because it was in the curriculum. And I remember seeing Lenny the Lion, we were talked about before a previous Fish of Friday, and that was Terry Dubry, and I had his autograph. I got Lenny the Lion's autograph. <laughs> Lenny. <laughs> I really believed the lion could write. <laughs> somebody, somebody can come up and tell me with that one. A lot of people want thrapple is a throat. Yeah. But yeah, Lenny the Lion. Who was Lenny? Who is the, who is the hand behind Lenny the Lion? Uh, and I saw Jamie. The one thing I do remember going in when I was really young, my mum and dad took me in, and I think it must have been a pantomime. And it was called Jamie. And it was the story of a young Scots boy, and he wore a kilt. It was all that kind of... There was a, I mean, it was a touch of Brigadoon and a touch of kidnapped it, and and it was a great, it was a great story for me when I was a kid. I loved it, and I loved that whole thing about you know Jamie and the theatre. But I can't, don't, I have no idea what it was, and it, but I think it was just called Jamie. But I'm sure somebody on the computer will come up and like tell me more, right? But yeah, Terry Hall, was that was it? Terry Hall was he the the singer in that Birmingham band, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah Terry Hall but Lenny the Lion this kind of like this Chinese lion look about him and stuff right I watched yeah I got taken because the reason I should have said the reason I got his autograph is because I went backstage I went backstage to meet a glove puppet <laughs> want to meet want to meet Lenny want to meet Lenny Lenny you are son where's the Oh, thank, you, thank you very much, Derek. Thank you, signature. <laughs> and I had it for years. I did. It's probably worth a fortune on eBay now. Lenny the Lion. Oh, millions. Oh, that's another story, but I, have to, I, have to, I should have got that off. But I'll, I'll maybe tell you about that next week. 287. Oh. Phil Wood. Yeah, the fishing phrase on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> James Butler, including this one, all three parts of it. Okay. Okay, right? Hi, Liam. Uh, oh. Mark Sanders. Better to go the week before the Fringe when less people, but the full show is still as pre-Fringe. That's his, I mean, the Fringe just keeps on melding backwards. It's, I mean, I think, you know, the, the problem with Edinburgh during, during the festival is you can, you can get shell-shocked by the sound of... Um, 
suitcases rolling along pavements and cobbled streets. It's like, it's this kind of, I don't know, it's, it's like Glastonbury. I mean, I'm, I'm personally, I would never go to Glastonbury. I mean, I, I mean, to go down with that many people, Simona's exactly the same. It's like, just, you know, the only festival that I would go to, right, as a kind of punter, but then again, I wouldn't really be a punter, right, would be um, Cropperty. That is one of my favourite ever festivals that I've ever kind of uh, been at and done. A lot of fun. And um, it's... Um, but, you know, to go to Glastonbury, I mean, oh, it's just... It's too big, you know? For, it's too old for this shit, right? But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, with festivals, I mean, standing up for ages, I mean, that's the thing with property, you know, you take along your deck chair, you know? And a deck property, I definitely want to, you know... I would consider, even if I was retired, going down and doing a, a, a couple of songs at Property, you know, with a band, with the Fairports, we all love. Because Peggy is one of the funniest guys. And Simona and I spent a, a night with Peggy and his wife and a couple of the other guys. And it was just, it was brilliant. Because Peggy's wife's actually, um, she's German. Was, um, do you remember Marillion concert in Zenith, Paris, 85? Yeah, Zenith was, I loved the, I loved the Zenith shows. And uh, I loved the, I love the backstage at the Zenith shows because it's like, I remember we actually played at the Zenith at a time when, oh, what's his name? Um, a big French rock and roller. Oh, no. Well, oh, Johnny Halliday. Johnny Halliday was, was doing a whole, he was doing like, you know, 40 shows, 50 shows in a row or something. He had like a lifetime residency. I think most of it allegedly had to do with paying off his tax bill with the French government, right? But he played the Zenith, and I think all the proceeds for the Zenith actually went to the tax man. But I remember being backstage at the Zenith, and Johnny Halliday had this thing. Where <laughs> and I know this because the guy, the lighting guy, the lighting techs were, that were doing the Johnny Halliday show were the same the same firm called LSD, Light and Sound Design from Birmingham. They were the same guys, and we kind of met up with them the night before and things, you know. And I remember it was like, you know, <laughs> there was this massive hands, right? I mean, a hand made out of paper mache or something, right? Or plaster of Paris, right? There was a massive hand, a giant's hand, into which, and it was gloved, right? And it was gloved. So, like, you know, kind of... And basically, this big gloved hand came out of the backstage area at the start of the show and went like that, right? I thought, I'll go like that, right? And Johnny Halliday stood in the middle, right? And that was it. It was a one-trick pony, <laughs> And they spent a fortune on this thing, this one thing, this one, the big hand that comes out. Get right into your hair. Johnny Halliday. But yeah, so, um, yeah, the Zenith, I remember the Zenith. I, I loved, it was a really weird gig because the, the, the crowd, it, when you when it was empty, it was rubbish. It was really echoey and horrible, but when everybody came in, it was beautiful. But my favourite gig in Paris and the one I, w I would love to do you know, kind of on the on a farewell tour. I would love to play the Olympia. Like I loved the Olympia as a venue. It was always my favourite, and I always wanted to go back there. You know, I pref definitely preferred it over the Zenith. Right? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. M eight went to Edinburgh when the tattoo was supposed to be on last year. It was an amazing experience in the city with a lack of tourists in the summer. Yeah, I mean. <sighs> It's a shame about the festival. I mean, you know, 
the city thrives, you know, and it's it's going to be. It's, it's the festival is going to be different after COVID, and and I think you know as well. I think uh, leaving the EU is going to affect it in some way as well. I mean, for the very fact, I mean, I hate to go back over this, but for the very fact, a lot of the 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 actors and a lot of artists and a lot of performers will be requiring visas to come across and play the Edinburgh Festival and. You don't play the Edinburgh Festival to make money. If you know you go there for the recognition, like the comedians go there to be recognised, unless you're a name and you're playing the big venues. You know, I mean, people do not make money at the Edinburgh Festival. The rents and and, and the, the the rooms for for musicians and stuff are like it's outrageous because they're competing with they're competing with tourists. <laughs> so, I mean. Um, yeah, I mean it's 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 sad, but I mean uh, we just have to see where things go. You know? Greg Haley, who needs Glastonbury when you have Midfest at Dalkeith County Park? Absolutely, I love playing that. Dude, misplaced shell, dude, uh, at, at Dalkeith County Park. That was that was a gig. That was a gig and a half. Uh, well, Anders Sindelin, hello from Sweden. Johnny Halliday is Belgian, I think. Jay Hendricks, no, I think he's French, right? I don't know. Clark McSevy, was that when Jim Prime was playing with Johnny? I don't think so. I didn't know. I didn't know Jim Prime, who was the Deacon Blue keyboard player at that. I didn't really know Deacon Blue right about then, but it's, uh, I don't know. I would I would think Jim Prime would have been Deacon Blue if it was 85, because the, 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 the DBs were, were running big at that time. Chris Harris, you remember LSD, great light shows. LSD, I used to love LSD. I mean, I mean, light and sound design. <laughs> Who do you use for lights? LSD. We give it to everybody. They'll love the light show. Right. It was light and sound design. And uh, Yatta used to work for uh, light and sound. Chops, Chops McFlurry, Robert uh, Robert Flurry, uh, who was the, the, the Marillion, uh, the lighting guy. All the guys, Fats and everybody all came through there. Um, there was loads of people, right? And, um, and they, they became great friends. And that was really loads of just beaming and talking out. Yeah, so running about to all these crews, lodging crew, all talking like that, you know. Uh, was he known? Chris Wright was he known for his heartfelt glove songs? Doug Musgrove, would you play any bikers' gigs, the farmyard? <coughs> it's. Bikers gigs. I remember playing in Maidenhead once with Marillion, and it must have been 1981. <laughs> and I think it might have been Keith Goodwin, our press guy, that that told me about this gig, and we played it. And I think it was a Sunday afternoon, right? It wasn't a nighttime gig, right? And we set up on this stage. Right. It wasn't a stage. Stage was that high. It was like that. It was. It was basically like a step. We played out of this big. It wasn't even a big step, and in front of it was this kind of round wooden kind of dance floor, and round about that on the arc were all the tables and the chairs, and uh, so we were playing this gig in Maidenhead that I'd booked. I think we were getting 60 quid for it or something like that. Maybe 60, right? 
And uh, and I, of course it was like where are we, where are we playing fish. Oh God, it's a good, it's a good gig. It, it wasn't it was it wasn't the bell. I think it was the bell in Maidenhead, but it was it was some gig in Maidenhead, this pub, and um, and we went on stage right with the makeup and everything. Right, well, I'm with the makeup, right, and our audience was the Windsor chapter of the Hells Angels. <laughs> The only other daunting gig that I played like that was when I played the SAS Barracks in Hungerford, but that's another story, right? But going out, <laughs> it's gig on a Sunday afternoon and you're faced with the Windsor chapter of the Hells Angels. It was... I went squeaky. I went squeaky. And I thought, well, we've got to do a show. And we just went on and, and we did the show. We did a full, brilliant show and I did Grendel and it was like, dun, dun, dun. And there was nobody... Nobody played about with me or anything like that. They let us do the show and they were they were very respectful, and they loved it. And uh, and it was like we just kind of shook hands and thanks. But I was a bit like, oh, nice to meet you, you know. Just <laughs> and they all scooted off and roared off into the, into the the late afternoon and stuff. And uh, we went. It was like, Whoa. and the next time I met them was at Redden, and uh, I was in the 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 beer tent. I can't remember when it was, but it was. Uh, and Lemmy was there, and I was, and Lemmy was talking. Lemmy was in the corner for these Hell's Angels guys, and I, I walked up and went, "Oh, how you doing? How you doing?" And they went, "Ah, oh, fish, Marillion, blah blah blah." And it was like that. Lemmy's in the corner going like, "Fucking hell!" I think he was just a wee bit off. He was having an off day that day, and he was a bit freaked out. But yeah, and the only other time I had there was a Hell's Angel kind of story was when we played uh, Boss Pop, and I think it was nineteen ninety three. And um, and we were doing the covers. It's when I was doing the Boston Tea Party stuff and and things. And um, uh, I'm standing on the stage and I'm kind of singing away. I think it was just I think I just finished the number. Da, da, da. And this guy just walks on from the side of the stage, right? And he's got this great big orange t-shirt on, right? And he's holding an orange t-shirt that he wants to give to me, right? And all the security guys at the side of the stage, they're just, they're on, I'm going, who is this guy? He's a promoter or something, right? And I'm going, he's walking on, we're kind of, like, nobody's stopping him. So, like, is, you know, is he coming to change the mic? You know, whoa. <laughs> and the guy comes up and gives me a T-shirt, gives me a big hug, then it out and walks off. And I said, who was that guy? And I said, oh, that was the, the head of Hells Angels Holland. I'm going, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, so said, we're not going to stop him. And Hells Angels was seemingly involved with the, 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 the thing. But it was... Uh, yeah, that was the that was a strange. Who's that guy? Who the hell was that? Well, that's... <laughs> ah, Paul Boggy, hello. Max Verstappen is Dutch. Uh, Rico Anker sleeping in a tent at the farmhouse next to the goats and cows. <laughs> so were you watching the program? Uh -huh. Oh, Johnny Halliday and a Belgian father born in Paris, Thomas Kidd. There you go. Uh, see, learn stuff all the day. Michael Forshaw, Big Hills Angels Bar in Maidenhead. Yeah, but I, I don't, I can't remember the name of the pub, you know, but we got a gig there, right? The only other gig I got. <laughs> they used to love me, right? I got a gig in the Caribbean Club in Oxford, right? And that was about 120 quid, right? That was like, pff, in the money, boys. <laughs> 
And I'd, I'd, just, I'd just find places on the back of the sounds, right, and phone them up. And that's what I did, and send them a demo tape. Must be hundreds of demo tapes, of the, the original kind of, this one. This one here. That one. That's that's the original Marillion demo tape, Les Payne. And I got that, my mum my gave me that when she was emptying her house, right? And that's the flying saucer that was put on, but this minute, wonder why there was a flying saucer there. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, and I used to like, I used to basically get in touch with all these people and, and, and I'd go through the sounds, all the music magazines, and you'd have the name, of the, the, the gig name, and then a lot more often than not, you'd have a phone number or you'd go through the ads. So you'd have like the Limelight Club or whatever, you get the number of the Limelight, phone them up, blag your way through to whoever's booking the gigs, blah, 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 talk them up, going, yeah, we do this and blah, 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 and we've done this and we support this, and we support John Martin, support Spirit. You know, really up and out in the band. Do you want to say, we've got a demo tape, right? And um, and that's what I did. And I don't know what happened, but I think the guy at the Caribbean Club didn't listen to the demo tape. He just booked the band because he just heard Marillion and maybe he thought it was some Caribbean Calypso band because we turned up at this venue again we had to do. Well, we were supposed to play two sets. That was it. We were supposed to play a lunchtime set and then an evening set. So we turned up for the for the lunchtime set. <laughs> we all come in, bah, 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 right? Mellotron up on the stage, <laughs> and it's just and it was just all Caribbean guys, right? There was one French girl. There was one white French girl, and all the rest were black guys, right? All Caribbean, and it was like you know, you're just going like, you know, okay, that's cool, you know, <laughs> fair enough. It's a gig, you know. The Carib not thinking for one minute how progressive rock could possibly go down in a reggae bar in a, in a Caribbean bar in Oxford on a Sunday afternoon, and everything. And there was the, the bar, which is, it was mostly red stripe. I think that's what we got. We got a bunch of red stripe, you know. And it was a uh, that's cool. I don't love red stripe. Food was brilliant. It was all kind of it was all Caribbean food. It was a really zippy hot, right? And then we went on to play the set, and uh, the stage was quite tidy. It was it was kind of like in a, a bay window sort of vibe. I seem to remember, and it was you know a couple of feet high. You know, it was enough for, for to get everyone on, including the Melatron and, and Pointer's drum kit and shit. And uh, we played to about four four guys uh, standing at the bar, right, just looking at us, going like, "Who the fuck are you? <laughs> what the fuck is this shit?" Are we playing Grendel? Right? And, uh, and um, the, I think they asked us to take a break in the set. Right? Well, they asked us to play for like half an hour and then take, take a break or something. Right? And the only person that was really getting off us was, was this French girl who was completely off her face. And she's just dancing like that, doing that Stacia dance in the floor. Right? And the guys are just looking at her going, Yeah. <laughs> And she's dancing like crazy, and, and we're going like, well, we're probably, we're probably you know, we've found a fan. <laughs> and we played about half a minute, and the guy came up to the stage, and he just gave us all the money in cash. He said, look, man, he said, you know, he says, I think we better just call it a day. This ain't going to work here. <laughs> ain't going to work here. <laughs> Here's the money. We're going, oh, thanks very much. It's like, you know, it's really nice. You know. And, you know, I wasn't going to do the thing. You're like, is there, is there any chance of coming back to do another one? <laughs> 
It was, it was the most polite way I've ever been told to fuck off in my life. <laughs> and don't come back. John Uri, Angel Guys must have loved 52. Well, I know, I know Dog's Mates and Dog's Bite Guys and, and, um, in America did. <coughs> Greg Hale, I think the concert you're talking about was Altamont, uh, the Rolling Stones gig. No, but Leonard Byrne, do you remember your concert in East Berlin in 1988? Yeah, I remember that. I had issues that day, but that's that was my thing. It was um, more than anything else. Alan Mitchell, do I remember the Tin Hall in Elgin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to, like I said, I mean, we used to play Keith. I'll, I'll, I'll deal with that another time. I'll, I'll go into that that side because if I go into Keith, then it goes into my forestry world as well up there. And it's Peter, I want to talk to before that happens, right? Luis Pudenle Rivas from Lima, Peru. Hello. Um, <laughs> Mari Esteban, Caribbean Calypso band. You could see it on Marillion. Marillion. Doom. Marillion. Carol Lois Olsen, a tape line around eight minutes of fish interview. My highlight is a journalist, the only one. <laughs> Richard Llewellyn, really, whenever a dub band. Uh. <laughs> Stuart Evans was the chicken wire there yeah it did feel like the Blues Brothers it did I mean you, you stand there you could just feel the antagonism in the room you could just feel it sense it you know, the, you know it's like that classic TV thing where you get the guy behind the bar just cleaning the glass forever looking at you going like Yeah, like Steve Welsh, Blues Brothers getting booked for a redneck bar. I've done other ones. <laughs> We've been in places, like I said, I, I used to, the, the Marillion shows, it was like, if I could get a gig, if I could find a venue and we were paid for it, then we'd play it uh, anywhere. Uh, Linda Dublin, got any help? Did Marillion do an arena documentary during the Clutch and its Straws tour? It was about behind the scenes of a rock tour, truck driver's crew, etc. Yes, we did. And it was filmed in Lausanne, and I think it finished in Paris, funnily enough. And it could have been when we were doing... Uh, I'm sure it was the Clutching tour. And... Um, yeah, they interviewed all the crew. It was, it was, it was for a, it was for a kids thing. I, I see. I, I, I don't think it was like a, a proper documentary. It was part of a, a children's program. Steve Blacknell was involved in it. He was an old friend of mine. Yeah, yeah Steve Blacknell. He was the one that did the interviews. Uh, Laurie Fairweather. There is something on YouTube. There is. I think if you if you if you Google Marillion crew film or something, but I'm sure it's Lasanne. It was. It was sure it was Lasanne. Uh, anyway, it's seven o'clock. I'm late. Need to do things. Right. Wait, Black Canal. That was the one that was picked out. I love Black Canal. It was um. It was jammed in here. It was like the guys kind of put the music d down, and I basically came in after everything and basically 
sculpted it and added all the different bits and pieces and, and, and just jammed my entire part of Black Canal across, you know, what James and uh, the rest of the guys had put together. And um, it came from when I was in, uh, in Bruges and I've always had a, th a thing with Belgium, actually, believe it or not. I mean, it's a, it's a family thing. My mum and dad uh, went there just after they got married. And um, they had friends across there who lived in a place called Capellen. And they were outside Antwerp. And um, Viral Peters, so it's like Vera, if you're watching, hello, bonsoir. Uh -huh. But um, but yeah, it was Roger and Roger and Roger and his wife, and Vera was the daughter, and they were family friends. But it was all to do. They came across this year. So I can't remember who it was. It was some kind of tenuous kind of link with it. But I, I went out there for the first time in, I think it was I was just started second school at Donkey Thighs. It must have been what's that fifty nineteen seventy. Uh, it was 71 I think we were out there and um, it was the first time I ever, ever went to um, Europe with my family and my dad drove the car across there and it was my, my dad, my mum, my sister Laura and myself and we went across and we went to, to visit the, the, the Belgian family and um, my dad and Roger and, and, and his wife and stuff had become big friends, mum and dad and stuff so we kind of went along and then we met all these other people that they knew that I didn't know. And they were all people that my mum and dad had met when they first went across to um, to Belgium. And uh, I always remember they had these black and white photographs, which we've still got in a, um, we've still got in a, a, a photo book somewhere. And it was this miniature town and I'd never seen a miniature town before. And it was, uh, and it was all these little buildings and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And... <coughs> <clears throat> an incredible huge model town and uh, I remember as a kid going like wow so that's wow all kind of models but anyway we went across there and uh, my mum and dad's friends at a flower shop and um, and it was the first time I kind of was in this kind of two-story Belgian kind of town village vibe and uh, I was wondering about and it was I remember the smell of cigars when I went across there and everybody was um there was all these shops selling um, cigar bands. And I'd never seen this before because everybody in Scotland smoked cigarettes. It was only like, you know, kind of, you know, the, the hoi polloi that, that, that kind of like smoked cigars. I mean, my dad, I think I saw a cigar in his mouth once. That's because I gave it as a Christmas present. It nearly killed him, right? <laughs> and <it> was, <laughs> that was guilt. <laughs> but it was... Um, but yeah, so I was never around cigars, but suddenly you were in these cafes and everybody was smoking cigars. And in the shops, they had all these collectors, like, you know, I used to see stamps, right? And I used to collect stamps when I was a kid, but I wasn't a stamp collector, you know? I just like the colours. <laughs> My girl. <laughs> That's another story. But anyway... So, and I saw that everybody was collecting these cigar bands, and I thought, oh, that's really cool. Thinking that, you know, cigar bands you'll be able to find all over the place, not realising that there was kind of like pretty... There was a, more of a Belgian thing, and unless I was going to Belgium on a regular basis, my cigar kind of band collecting days were going to be pretty numbered. 
But I bought all these cigar brands and had a, I had them in a, a, a catalogue thing. And it was like the stamps you bought when you, I don't know if you, people collect the stamps, but you could go into shops and you could buy a bag of like 200 mixed stamps that were all kind of taken off by children and, you know, using steam things and putting bags and sold to like, you know, guys, young kids. Oh, well, of course, right? But I didn't save up stamps. But cigar, the cigar bands, I got in it for a while. And like I said, I remember black coffee. It was the first time I ever saw filter coffee where, you know, where you've got the, the glass the cup on the bottom and you've, you've got the plastic thing and then you pour the water in the top and then you've got to let the water go down and then you drink the coffee. I'd never seen that before. I thought that was brilliant. And um, and cigar bands, Belgium. And... Uh, I found it a, a weird place. We'd, Marillion had a strange relationship with EMI Belgium because right at the start when Script came out, it was reported to us, right, or allegedly said, right, that the managing director of uh, uh, EMI Belgium said, what do we need Marillion for? We've already got Genesis. And I think that kind of, it was, um, it didn't set us off on the best footing, right? And, um, but I mean, later on, you know, we we played a lot of great gigs there, you know, um, not many, but most of the times we played at the Forest Nationale, which was the, that was in the eighty fives and things. But um, but Belgium, I always had this thing with because of my family, and it was, uh, and I've had some great gigs in Belgium, and you know, again, one of my uh, one of my favourite. Um, um, venues in Belgium, was the Ancien Belgique, and I used to love playing that, but my problem was that every time I played the Ancien Belgique, my voice was fucked, right, and I think, you know, and I think that's what killed me in Belgium, is that people just went, it's shit, right, it's like, you know, I've, I've seen him three times, and every time he's, you know, I know other singers that have had exactly the same problem, you know, it's like, you know, where, uh, you know, you play two Duff gigs in the same thing, two tours in a row, and it's like, you're going to take a hit, and that's what happened to me with the Ancien Belgique. The Rain Gods tour in particular was, I always remember, you know, being get, given injections before the, the gig and Iron Maiden were, had come along to see us as well, which is just what you really didn't want. And uh, I was just, it was terrible. And I was like talking with Yannick Gers after the gig and, and things go like, and you're meeting people and you know you've just sung a really shit gig and they're going, yeah, it was no bad that, no bad. And you're just going, stop it. But that was Belgium, right? But <clears throat> we went back there in 1993 for this gig <clears throat> in Bruges. And uh, I'd never, like I said, I'd never um, been down there right, in that part. And um, and it was the smell. And I woke up and on the bus and it was parked right next to the venue, right? And what wasn't helping was that they had a burst sewage pipe and it had spilled into the venue, right? And they had raw sewage had got into the, the backstage area of the venue and it was absolutely honking, right? And we couldn't go in it. It was so bad. It was usual sort of bought joysticks and people just went, we'll just stay on the bus. But even when we were on the bus, you could still smell not only the sewage, but because it was really hot, when we were down there, right, and I had been going through a bit of a heat wave, there are all these canals that go through the centre of the city, and they were all, because it was a big trading place, 
And that was kind of, this all spurred the, the thoughts. I mean, I had a, it was a big medieval trading place and you, the, the architecture was phenomenal. And, you know, it just said this was a rich market city, market city, you know. And, um, and the canals were actually black. And I remember looking over the top of the bridges and looking down and it was like a black mirror, right? <clears throat> and it was, and I, I got talking to a couple of locals and they said, yeah, I said, it's like all the old drainage systems, right? They're still pumping effluent into the canals, right? They, they didn't, because it was all medieval, they hadn't been able to put an all at that time in 93. I mean, I hope for God's sake they've done it, sorted out since. But because they couldn't, they found it difficult to put all the drainage systems in, they were having to deal with ancient um, sewage systems that just weren't capable of dealing were like a, a, a city that had grown and grown and grown. And I kind of liked that image and I, I, I kind of liked that, the idea of that. And at the time I was going through the Suits, kind of getting the Suits album together. And we were, you know, and I, I'd, you know, again, I'd, I'd come out of uh, the EMI thing, gone into the Polydor thing, and the Polydor thing at the end with all the feelings and dealings and, 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 you know, the whole juggling act that was going on towards the end of, until they dropped me, right? Um, you know, when I was, when I was there, I was, I was, I was so aware of the business and the business was kind of really intruding and that was why I decided to call the album Suits, you know? And it was kind of like, you know, the, the uniform. And it was, uh, and I saw that in, in, in the city and in, in, in the, the whole Black Canal lyric and it was the whole idea of the young guy coming along. I mean, similar to Tuxon in a way. <clears throat> and it was uh, the young guy coming along and, 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 you know, being seduced by the money, by the the smell of the cigar, you know. And uh, and that was kind of where it came from. But it was a bit, you know, it was where I touched on, you know, what are you willing to give up for that? You know, and, you know, the, the, the actual Black Canal was a sign itself of, like, you know, this society was not correctly balanced, <laughs> And and I think, you know, maybe it was an early kind of vision of kind of where the, the planet was going with plastics, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it was the fact that, you know, it was an ancient, medieval, hugely successful town that had made all its money, like incredible riches. I mean, it was an incredibly rich town at one point. And yet there it was dealing with its own shit all these years later. And um, and I, I kind of liked that. And I, I just got pulled in, you know, the, the kind of stereotypical image of the big businessman, you know, the, the black cigar. Black Canal, you know, and um, um, and it just it just fell together, and like I said, I just let myself go in this control room and just and, you know, I had bits of lyrics obviously written down. I mean, I had lumps of lyrics, but the thing was fitting them in over what what had been written, and that was the trick, and it just worked so well. And again, the spoken words of stuff that I really like, and I'm going to have to go through there, and I didn't set it up in all the earlier Beric, so. Let's go through. Kevin Tees, who's the painting behind me? It's me, it's me, it's me. They're all in here because it's like the missus won't have them in the room. Well, I don't want them in the room either, to be honest. Oh, oh my legs are sore today. Look how clean this is. Well, that bit's not. That desk... That's the that's the main kind of um, that's the working desk, 
and I've got to make a decision at some point when I do change this control room around whether I keep that desk or not because it's been there since it's the studio's inception and so much has happened and been written and been done on that desk. That's where the keyboards and it's also Steve Vance's little desk but he doesn't get it anymore because if anybody's got to take over that desk it is moi, les poissons. Here we are. Look how clean it's great. And I've got a load of stuff sorted out. Coming through, darling. <laughs> Simona will be back with us later. Yes, I start cooking. Oh, I'm in a nightmare. I've got to tell you a bit in a minute. Just like that. Right. Now I've got to find it. Switches on. Oh, that smells good, what is it? Nothing yet. That's Liam's. That's oh, that's Ian's. Liam's. Liam's. Liam's chicken nuggets without chicken. That's what we were listening to the other night. PFM. It was, uh, we were listening to Premiata Foneria Marconi and we were listening to uh, Il Banchetto. We were listening to it was a ghost. It was absolutely stunning. And, um, okay. <laughs> you were waiting for that one, weren't you? Change inputs to optical. Press play. I recognised that I was questioning the source of the smell 
Hello. <laughs> it's just one of those nights, isn't it? It's one of those nights. Hello again. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is nuts. <sighs> okay, we're back. We're back on. We got it back on, Liam. I'm going to go through... I did put money in the meter, Michael. Lee. I'm gonna go through here now. So um, I put money in the meter. I don't know what's going on. This is um, my love, my broadband guys. I will be phoning them up after this, finding them what the hell went on tonight because that's two dropouts. It's okay. It's only dark through here. There is electricity. Uh, it's back on, love. Yeah. This is the point where you drink heavily. Oh, don't tell me you cut yourself again. Nearly the same place. You nearly cut yourself the same place. Yeah. Cut all your fingers in when you're using the knife. Okay. <laughs> Slash the thumb open this week. Oh. Not bleeding. No, it's not bleeding. That's good. Right, okay. Is this live? There was a, there was good. I think when you actually join it, you edit all the bits together. It was, we were, I was doing okay, I thought. <coughs> Stories were coming on. Now it's like going grey blank, grey blank. Come on. Come on. Show me where I'm at. See, some of you are just thinking like, you know, he's just making it up. He's just like, you know, it's, it's just part of the part, you know. Just uh, see me, see tech. No, it's real. Black Canal. <laughs> Remember that? 
Black Canal was on the it was on the, the the Suits album. You can get it on the Suits remaster, and there's a brilliant live version as well, because we did open up shows with it. It was a kind of it was a number of really light singing, and I loved the dynamic of it. I mean, when we actually got it going, it was fantastic. It was a I don't see any questions at all. Nothing coming up. This is nuts here tonight. I'm, I've got to watch Netflix after this. Right. <laughs> uh, popular. Which is this one? Are we in? Are we on this one now? I'm, I'm, I can only profusely apologise. This has uh, nothing to do with me. Oh, come on, you bastard. This is it, come on, come on. Is this the one? Tell me this is the one. It's just been an absolute nut. Come on! It's not doing what I want it to do. Can't get you up. Can't see any anything you're saying. You just you don't exist at this moment in time. You're just a, a pulsing. And somebody sent me a message from seven seven seven. Oh no, go away. Um, I kind of lost them. Being completely thrown off my floor. And I, oh, that message. Uh, that's probably a message for Lothian Broadband saying, "Really sorry, but your 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 system might be going down." Because there's a cow flown into a piling. Right. Right. Oh. Another murder of a day. Right. And this is where I've got to pull the missus through. Darling, you busy? <laughs> yeah. Well, you come through because you've not heard this. Right. One more moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I put it on. You can go through. Lovely Simona. Hello again. <laughs> How are you? They've been having a mayor as well. I've had. What? I went up. I'd, I'll, I'll explain all you later. But I've had Lolly Broad went down twice. No. So yeah. So it's like not happy. That's a bummer. But Simona's never heard this song before. I was quite surprised. You'd never heard the Tony Banks song. Maybe that's why I said, no, I sing don't... it, please, because I... I, I can't sing it. <laughs> I know, <laughs> short, shortcut to somewhere, I know. Yeah, shortcut somewhere, yeah. But it's, um, but this was the one I did for... What happened was that Tony was writing an album and I'd worked with him on this single-stroke film soundtrack thing called... Um, shortcut to somewhere and he presented me with the lyrics we'd gone really well and the, the first time I went down it was like we, you know but there was a good vibe between us and then later years later he turned around and he said would you would you write this for me and I said what he said well I've written this long piece of music and he said the only lyricist I know that can actually write a lyric for this is you right and he gave me a piece of music that was it was done, right? And all that I had to, I had to work out 
where the lyrics were kind of going to go and and trying to get a vibe from it. I mean, from a, 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 it was I mean a, basically a, a pre-composed piece of music. Mm -hmm. It was just it was just sitting there, and I had to work my way around it, and uh, and I I came up with this idea about. Uh, it was from a murder of a day. Kind of like what this is. Like a murder of a fucking day. Right? Yeah, but he told you the title. No. What you should write about. No, he never said anything about what to write about. He just okay. said, he just said, there's a piece of music, write a lyric for it. Right? Okay. Okay, yeah. And, and I, this, is, this is Tony Banks, the Genesis keyboard player, going, <clears throat> you're the only person that can do this, write a lyric for it. I'm going, yes, sir, immediately. <laughs> you know? And I, and I went away and it was, um, Angel Face had, had already been done. Uh, Angel Face, he already had, had a, a lyric for that, which was the other song that was on the album. But Another Murder of a Day, right, had nothing. It was just a great piece of, a great slab of Tony Banks music, had Daryl Stoymer on it, who plays brilliantly on Angel Face. And, um, and he, he said, what can you do with it? So I went away and wrote all this lyric. And I came back and I went down and I was working down at Gen the Genesis Studios at Chiddenfold. And I got, I was down there for, I was invited down for about three days, four days to sing, which was great. It was at the Genesis Studio, which was a real letdown because it was basically a bunch of kind of new buildings that were kind of built in this farm area and stuff. And it, it felt more like going to, like a, uh, like a kind of technical college, a kind of Fau Tudor technical college. <clears throat> but inside the buildings, it was stuffed full of all the best gear. And all the Genesis crew, or, or a lot of the Genesis crew, lived down there, and including this American guy called Dale. And uh, Dale was kind of... He was a, a, a bit of a kind of born-again Christian and had, had been through a tough life. And he didn't like other people doing what he used to do, right? And he'd become... I mean, I'll, I'll say this openly. We became a bit self-righteous about all. And we, yeah, and we didn't really get on. Well, we got on, you know. As, and, but Pud, who was also staying down there, who's Welsh, and Pud is now uh, Phil Collins. It was Phil Collins' drum roadie, and I think he's now Phil Collins' his tour manager. And Pud's a brilliant geezer. Really nice bloke. And... We had the kind of same kind of rock and roll meta mentality and stuff. And of course, I went down to the farm and Pud's there. And I had, I'd met Pud before when I'd worked with, with Phil Collins on the, the Mandela gigs and we'd, we'd spent some time ago. And uh, so Pud and I latched on to each other down at the Genesis Studios on the first night. <laughs> and then I was up till about four or five in the morning and Pud and I got, got smashed, right? And Dale snitched on us in the morning. When I came into the studio, I was up late, right? Tony was in there early, right? And Dale snitched on me. And he said, uh, he said well, I was a bit rough this morning. He was up out with Pood, right? And Pood wasn't very happy about getting dropped in either. He, and I said, look, he says, what's the Pood's fault? Says, I'm, you know, I'm up here. And I went into the, the, the studio uh, down at Chinfold. And it was just Tony behind, and of course I'm singing. There was no other players there. It was just me and Tony, and it was the track that I had to sing over. And um, and I showed him the lyrics, and he went, "Yeah, they're really good and stuff." And, uh, and he went, mm, "Good, yeah, I like those." Yeah, yeah. And I kind of sung through the bits in the control room. You know, this is you know, blah blah blah. This is a, kind of yeah, that sounds good. 
And I went in and started to sing it. And we, we kind of built the, 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 the track through bit by bit. And, um, and I always remember him saying, <laughs> could you do a bit more Bowie there? Could you be, a bit, maybe a bit, a bit more Phil Peter kind of vibe on, the, on, on that. Could you take it that? And I'm kind of going, whoa, fuck <laughs> But he was great and he was a lot of fun. He was a lot of fun to work with. And we, we, spent, we spent a couple of days putting it together. And it, it turned out quite smart, and, and I really liked it. And, but Tony had no idea what it was about. <laughs> and he read, he read a, I did an interview or something, you know, and so what's another mother of a day about? It says, another mother of a day is actually about a young lady waiting for her heroin dealer to come round. And it's, that's the waiting on the man bit. And Tony was like, what? <laughs> he actually said to me, he says, if I'd known that was about a heroin deal, I don't think I could have had that on the album. <laughs> so Tony Banks has got a song all about a heroin deal, all about on his album. But he loved it, and he, he, I really like the song. Never played it live, and there's, there's bits in it I find a bit clunky, and I think it's because if I'd been involved in the actual writing of the music, you know, I'd been part of that, you know, sitting down with them when we put it together. I think there's certain elements that would have changed in the same way as when Steve and I worked together or, or whatever, then, you know, we, we, we moved stuff around, but we didn't. But what was grafted on to, to Tony's piece was, was, was I, I, was quite, I was quite proud of it. And um, the album, I mean, it's like, you know, a lot of Tony's solo work, it kind of disappears. I mean, you know, he's known as Mr. Genesis, but people don't follow in his solo career, which happens to a lot of people in bands. And, uh, you know, they expect to have, <laughs> speaking for myself, <laughs> you know, it's, but I mean, in all honesty, it's like, you know, when you're in a band and you put a solo album out, I remember when Genesis brought their own solo albums out when I was a fan back in the 70s, you know, I'd kind of like maybe touch Steve Hackett, and, but I didn't religiously go out and buy them just because they were in Genesis. And, um, and some of them I didn't like, to be honest, you know. But I mean, um, but working with Tony was, it was wonderful. And he... He told me a lot about singing. I mean, as, as Tony said often in, in, in interviews, it's like, well, Fish just sings the first thing that comes out of his mouth, right? And um, in fairness, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't go in and, and, and think about the musicality of it all, you know? You know, I, I'm just thinking about the expression and the feel and, you know, the, the tonality and stuff. I'm not thinking about, you know, you know, ding, 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 melodies, you know, what is Tony does because he's a keyboard player. And the first time I worked with Tony, he was like, you know, this not bang, 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 this one, ah, 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 this one, ah. And I, that winds me up. You know, I get really, I get tense. When I get tense, it, it does my nothing. But I loved working him and he, he's a really funny guy. And I've been drunk a couple of times with Tony and he's not, he's a very different person. I mean, he's, he's wonderful to be with. Very, great sense of humour. And he had that in the, the studio that day, thank God. <laughs> But it was, uh, but yeah, it was, it's, it's a song. It's, I mean, all this stuff, like she dreams China white behind her eyes of China blue. I mean, China white heroin, right? Her future wrapped in velvet and her memories wrapped in warm cotton wool and the coffee grounds are burying the hours that she killed in another murder of a day. Her patience starts to crumble like a rock that turns to sand and time breaks down to seconds when you're waiting, waiting on a man. 
She's checking out the doorway while she's checking out the guy whose drunk imagination is climbing up the ladder of her silk-clad thigh. There's all these weird things that I had to fill in because it, it, it didn't just go straight. It was it had some... It, it had a progressive rock thing going on in it, right? But that was what it was about, and it was about... It was like somebody, like a waitress, waiting on on the, a dealer to show up to, and her being like, do I or don't I, you know? And... Um, Waiting on the man to show, she prays that no one pays attention as she punches out the call, as she fumbles with the number that the panic still doesn't show. She prays the lights stay green all night, she prays the traffic doesn't slow, and that the knots that tie her stomach are only butterflies. Only butterflies fly by every day while you're waiting on a man, waiting on a man to show. There he stands behind the door, she reaches for her coat to go, and she wanders away in a dream. She wanders away to a dream and she threads her way home through the neon-washed alleyways. She flirts with the shadows and skirts around the victims of a night that will sleep through the day, that casts out its refugees and throws out its debris. She turns the key in a lock to a fairy tale world that she guards with her ghosts of faithful familiars who attend to her shrine in the patchwork cathedral, observing the ritual with silent compassion and prayers. And it was... um. There's a lot of shades of kind of Zoe 25 in this, you know, and the, just the, the kind of the observation of, of a young lady. So on the candlelit edges of a tightening circle, she arranges the photographs faded and yellowing, the memories left of her friends and her family respectfully turned to the wall. She turns up the sound on a second-hand radio and drowns out the noise of the world that she lives in, her conscience, her witness, her life is her courtroom, and the man she left waiting is waiting to murder a day. So... And with that, let's see if we can get through this without any more technical issues going down. So, but you've never, but Simone has never heard this. Well, I don't think you've ever heard this. You don't think so? No. We should do one of those, you know, this is your first listen things. You know. uh -huh. Oh, listen to this. Oh, no, I don't know. I thought it just for a minute because I didn't play this. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Cut it! There's, um, I did check this, and this is going to be the one where I'm going to have a freaking jump in it.
Lost a little world of my own there, I was, so I was. Oh, God. <laughs> what a fucking night. <laughs> I'm wearing this whole thing to blow. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, but I love... It was, um, yeah. I'm just, just waiting for a piece of airplane debris to fall through the house roof. Uh, well, no, no, that would never happen. <laughs> <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, so did you like that? Yeah, took a, took a nice turn. Yeah. I didn't expect... It's very genesis -y. Something like this. Incre from, very genesis from, from the title, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but that's what I was given. I was just given that whole slab of music. Write a lyric for it. Jesus. Trying to navigate through that lot. It was like, you know, and it couldn't be changed. That was it. It had been recorded. It was like, it was done. Right? And it just wanted words in it. And it was like, but it's... And, Having to do address all those sections and like you're doing little bits of lines and follow. Oh, it was it was just, it was a test. It was a great test. But I love working on it. I, lo I really like the song. There's bits I wouldn't have in it if it was if it was mine. If it was mine, there's there's too many movements and stuff. But it's but it's, it was great. I mean, to to be able to sing like that, where the Genesis keyboard player and put a song here like that was fantastic. But you can still get it. I can't remember the album I got it off. This one is Still. It's called Still by Tony Banks, right? But I was going to... There was a time when I was going to put it together. I was I, I was going to actually put it on a kind of best-of collection. It was going to be on Bullabies, by the way. Like, beware of Amazon prices. There are people up there just ripping people off, right? £44.95 for a, a remaster that we flog, flogging here for just over 20 jobs. It's like, nah. It's like... And um, Velschmidt's vinyl, stay away from there as well, 140-odd quid. It's like, please. <laughs> I want to find them and gently ring them round the neck. Uh -huh. um, <clears throat> but it's... Uh, but the Tony Banks albums you can find, and I think you put... I think Mother of a Day and Angel Face are on... Uh, um, Angel Face, are, they're on this, this kind of best of Tony album. But as I said, you know, he's, he's one of those guys, he's, he's, a, he's a great writer, and... I'd love to. I would have loved to work more with him. And the, I did toy with the idea of, of maybe doing something with Tony and Velschmerz, But as I said, I, I think you know it's, it's one of the things. If he ever phoned me up, I might do might do it just for fun. You know, if he ever said, "Well, you know, do you want to do something together?" And uh, we still keep very kind of randomly in touch. And uh, it was. Um, I didn't send Christmas cards this year, but I didn't send Christmas cards to anybody this year. Right? We just missed it. You know, yeah. but so yeah, we just missed it. So, and it wasn't anything. It wasn't deliberate. It wasn't being you know, childish or like you know, that stereotypical Scottish shite you get as well. You're like, oh, they're mean because he's Scots. Right? There's a that's thing. I'll deal with that another time. I'm not risking anything else tonight because it's been a nightmare. Right? <laughs> Someone doesn't know because she was down down at, at, at Tesco's. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she was down there, so it was like, so she missed all the, all the, 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 the panic and everything. Apologise profusely for the tech problems, but you understand. So just, you know, when you see it come up in the feed, it's been, you know, Fish and Friday, and there's like three different parts, you'll understand when you watch them. Maybe Rob Scarano might, might can splice them together for, for YouTube, and so you can get the full gamut of, Humour, angst, and, and worry, 
as we go on. And it's uh, it's five past eight. I know you didn't get the full whack tonight, but um, I know you've all got something to do. So uh, I think we should finish it on a light note. Dinner's not ready yet, Snooky. What, what, what is for dinner tonight? Um, chicken in almond sauce. <laughs> it's a it's an Indian recipe, but I don't. It I I cook it since my kids were little, and I've changed it over the time over the years. Because I'm not good with following recipes. I have my own head. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it works great. I mean, it's like you work great with recipes. But you, it's a lot of chilli in it. So, oh, yeah, I've got to say, say hello. Oh, no. Oh, I don't have it in front of me. Oh, I do. Do I? Oh, oh, did, you, did you hear that? That was my back. Right. Is this the right letter? No. Oh, oh no. Chilli letter, I bring. You got the chilli letter? Well, this is, for those of you who may or may not know, this is kind of, we're getting right in the, this is, in fact, it's, it's, it's about a week, two weeks into the, 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 the chilli kind of growing season. And it's, um, um, and I was missing a couple, I had a fair few. I mean, I've got my own seed that I keep, um, chilli seed. And uh, it's, um, I have the ones that we like, but I like to try and grow some other ones. And I got sent some some a while back by, by a couple of people, right? Which were great. And we're waiting on the letter. This is this is an example of this is an example of the, the front man filling in for the missing letter, which is um, on its way to the stage now. Um, Rodie's uh, there, trying to find it in the the back there. So uh, anyway, we'll just. This has been one of them shows, isn't it? It's like, you know, I, I don't know whether... You found it? Yes, finally. Um, so, welcome back to the stage. Yes, well, it was oh. in the bin. No. What? I said there's too many of them. I finally found it. All oh, right, yeah. Well, so this is from James' partner. James, I know you're out there and I know you're watching, probably going like, you know, guys are not all right. But James... Basically, I don't know. Uh, blah, 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 I'm, going to, I'm just going to find it. He's been a fan for ages, right? He says, I am, in fact, a keen chilli grower and heard you talking about sowing chilli seeds for this season. I meant to send the enclosed to you around a month ago. You got, have you got the bin? Have you got the, the, the bin? <laughs> uh, I heard you mention Fisher Friday that you've already been sent some other fans and hearing last week about Liam's love of chilies as well, I thought I'd send you a selection of a few of the varieties that I, a few of the varieties that I grew last year, including some super hots, right? Um. Yeah, it goes there. Yeah. That <laughs> is a list. That's that's a bunch of chilies. And that's a bunch of chilies. And there's still four on the other side, right? Oh, and they go. Yeah. And this is them, all of them, unreal. Oh, watch, you dropping them. Yeah, yeah, I know. This, this Chinese takeaway palette, right, is literally full to the brim. Mm. Oh, what? my chilies. All those chilies mentioned. And I phoned up James and we were talking about them. So I'm going to be sending him photographs and I'm going to be swapping it. But there's some of this stuff, right? He said, there are some really mild ones in there. Um, <coughs> But there are some also some super hots with S with Scoville ratings, right? Of around two million. Mike Freeburn, I know you're watching this, right? 
right? Two millions. That you don't even eat them, right? The Maruga scorpions, right? I don't know if you've ever tried them before, but as well as the intense heat, there is actually a really good flavour, right? Uh, he goes out about the scorpions. So anyway, I've got all this to do, and I'm, I'll, I'll come back to this because this is going to be um, once we get into the garden, right? Once I find out, and if I can get a router out there, <laughs> so I can get broadband, right? Then I'll take you out to the greenhouse and I'll show you how things are going, just like, you know, Alan Titchmarsh or like, you know, Monty Dawn or something like that. It's a gardener's world start or something, right? But, but all these chilies are, are just absolutely nuts. So I don't know how many, but I'm going to have a, 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 good, a crack at a good 20 different ones this year and just see how they go. But it's like, Tim said, he said, one of the chilies, he said, he said, if you can remember when you were a kid, Right. when somebody like dares you to put your tongue on a nine volt battery. <laughs> yeah, I never did that. Yeah, I did. No, I was too scared. <laughs> they did twice. Why? Because <laughs> all the other kids were laughing and I was in a lot of pain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's uh yeah, that's what he said that some of the chilies are like, just like nuts, right? But it's um <laughs> It's coming, but I've got, I've got to finish. I've, I've had a tough night. Talk to him for a minute. Talk to me while I set it up, right? Because I've got to go. So, Have is, a wee is he playing the last song now? I don't know. Yeah, you do. Tell him, what, tell him about the, the, the bath. The bath? The bath, the bathroom. The new bathroom. What we're getting? What we're getting? Yeah, the decoration what, wise, yeah what we're not getting, we've got a chance to get. No. I'm telling something. You will tell them anyway. I've been trying want to do a little jungle bathroom. <laughs> a little jungle bath. Yes. Yeah, we want to get we want to get a load of bits in it, right? Yeah. Right. So I don't. I don't. Do. What are you playing? I don't know yet. Finally, weekend. Oh, that's a good one. I've got to put this on optical dinner there. And my poor right? mother-in-law still so. has to wait for our dinner because I was late. <laughs> it's not Derek's fault. Huh? Right. So when I shout in here, when I go, hit, play Simone, hit that button there. That button there. Yeah. That one there. Yeah. Right. No, that one there. That one That'll there. I'll take the roof off. That one. That one there. <laughs> Please. Uh. Right. So, I thought, beware. Um... We're about to go into a place where there's a lot of flashing lights, okay? So it's, um, the thing is that like, we've been standing in the darkness, right? So what I was going to say, we've been trying to pick out the furniture for the, the kind of the, the bath room, right, that's getting built on the other side. I'll show you some photographs during the week. But it's like we were trying to work out what to get, and we wanted to get an illuminated mirror and things, so we decided, like, oh, where are we going to get it? So we decided, um, despite IKEA offering um, people to like take their old units back and they'll buy them off them, right? I was thinking about phoning them up saying, well, can I just get new lights for my one yet? Because I'm, I'm still dealing with this IKEA bathroom unit, right? And you know where we're going, right? Because, you know, an IKEA should use this, right? So, so beware, people. Uh, you're about to encounter some flashing lights. So anybody with epilepsy, please switch off the feed now. <laughs> but... Please, Simona, play the music. 
Play it a bit louder. Lieutenant Pigeon. Disco Bog. IKEA Disco Bog. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the end of yet another Fishing Friday. It was dramatic. It took you to places you didn't even want to go. And we're here at the end, finally. The third phase of Fishing Friday. Program number 40, Doobly Doobly. Until next week. Holy Thank you very much. It's a very good night from him and a good night from the good wife. Next week, we will see you again, I hope, with good Wi-Fi and a non-ported picture and less intrusions. Thank you very much. Good night. Take care and stay alive.